3: Welcome to the show. We made it through another week. This is the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do on this program every weekday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word is to take your phone calls and answer your questions. Questions about life, questions about the Bible, what we believe as Christians and why we believe it. Anything and everything, I'll do the best I can to answer. All you have to do is call. Dial 210-340-9585. It's 340-9585. You can call toll-free at eight seven seven six three kslr Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send those same questions in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're out driving in your car and we really do want your calls, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, a banner will appear at the top of the screen. that says, call now. You'll be connected directly to our our studio producer. One more time, 340 is our main number. I like weekends, as you know, because we're getting ready to serve the Lord. We have Bible study here tonight. I'm going to be studying uh, Hebrews chapter 2 tonight. Uh, just four verses. The the first warning in the book of Hebrews of six warnings. Um, the warning against drifting away. It's an important study because that's where it all starts. All of the other warnings, uh, all of them begin with Drifting Away. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10 on Sunday, the final Sunday of January. It's hard to imagine it's gone that fast. Um, and uh, we'd love for you to join us. You can watch live stream at CalvarySA.com. If you're in the area and you haven't been here before, but you get down and visit, uh, please make sure somebody brings you up and introduces you to me. I'd love to do that. Wherever it is you go to church, here's what you do. You ask the Lord to prepare your heart asking for divine encounters, divine appointments, and then offering your body to be used for his glory. If you'll do that, I promise you, your life will be changed and so too will the lives of others around you be changed as a result because that's just the way God works. So let's get to questions that we have. My first question comes in uh, from Kirby, our mobile app. Uh, would you please explain the meaning of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 16 in the second part of the verse? Does it mean that the one holding the garment is keeping the other person accountable? Uh, the answer to the second question is easy. It's no. Um, uh, what, what we're doing or what we're being told here, and this is just wisdom to, to make um, if somebody asks you to put up security for them, um, make sure that um, you hold it in pledge uh, if his reason for borrowing the money or whatever it is he borrows uh, is is um, um, ungodly. That's all he's doing. It's just a matter of, of uh, security. Have something that will ensure you get your money back. Uh, the first part of it is also simple. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. That garment... Uh, Is simply the way of saying, okay, we have a deal in in an ancient culture, and um, this is my way of knowing that you owe me. Uh, It's just a way to collect the business. You know, this is more about loaning money, um, at least as it relates to us in our culture. And it's just never a good idea to loan money, especially to a brother or sister in the Lord. It's not a good idea to do it. However, if you do make it a business deal, that's what the Lord is saying. Now, let me go one step further, Kirby, because um, I've talked to our church about this a lot. I have made it a rule uh, never to loan money. Now, this is only as a Christian. and My whole life changed when I met Jesus, but never to loan money um, that I needed back. Uh, Money isn't worth losing a friend over or a brother. And when you loan money, you make a business deal. If you need it back, we can easily start resenting the fact that they don't pay it back. You know, I helped you when you were down and out. Um, So my rule of thumb is simply don't lend the money ever uh, unless I don't need it back. And typically in my life as a believer, uh, I've never asked anybody for anything that I've loaned them back. Well, I'll pay you soon. No, I didn't ask. It's okay. Just as the Lord enables, but that's between you and the Lord. And I think it's really important because that shows that we value the person more than we value the money that we gave. Lots of friendships have been ruined over money that didn't get paid back. And, of course, other believers start thinking, well, I thought they were a Christian. Why didn't they pay? And we don't want to let... What began as an act of generosity and kindness turn into something that keeps us far from what God is asking us to do. So, Kirby, I hope that helps. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Rudy. He says, I want to ask about the sinner's prayer. Is it biblical? And are we saved just by repeating it? Uh, Rudy, there's nothing about uh, the sinner's prayer in the Bible. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer, by the way, but there's simply nothing in the Bible about it. It's just what we've taken in general principle from the Bible. And we've applied it in sort of a, a methodology um, that that people understand. So the sinner's prayer is certainly uh, OK. Um, but nobody's saved by saying a prayer. We say the prayer to acknowledge that we have been saved. This is just like baptism. Uh, it's like circumcision in the Old Testament. Uh, nobody got circumcised to be God's people. They got circumcised because they were God's people. Uh, no Christian gets baptized to get saved. We get baptized because we are saved. The same thing is true of the sinner's prayer. Now, really, a lot of churches, and, and our church is included in this, um, uh, the Lord has has really convicted me many, many, many years ago that every time I have a microphone every time I've got a pulpit uh, message that, that I am to offer the opportunity for people to get saved but it is incumbent upon me with that privilege and obligation it's incumbent upon me to make sure they understand what they're doing. Now the problem with the sinner's prayer and the way it's repeated so uh, often in our church culture is that we think Okay, I said this prayer, I'm in the club now. Uh, and that's not it at all. When we say the sinner's prayer, it's simply, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sins. Then we offer our lives, our hearts to him. Um, we let him know we're trusting in him. And because he's forgiven us, because he's trustworthy, then we say, now, Lord, I belong to you. That's what it means to be born again. The old me is dead, and there's a new me that's been created. And um, you can say it all you want, but unless you mean it, it has no value. You don't say it like Judas. The Bible says he repented, but he repented. It just means he wasn't happy that things didn't work out the way he wanted. A lot of times Christians come to a church, their life is in turmoil, They hear the message of good news. They receive it instantly with joy. But it never takes root. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13 about this. And it dies. That's not salvation. So Rudy, the sinner's prayer is okay. But there's no model in the Bible. It's just something that we have sort of derived culturally as a way of saying, okay, you said it, praise the Lord. Now, one other thing, Rudy, I get criticized at times from people who say, well, the sinner's prayer is not biblical and you giving altar calls isn't biblical. Uh, that doesn't happen, by the way, in our church. It just happens because I'm on the radio and um, I'm a reasonably public person. Their, their complaint is that we're manipulating the people into saying a prayer that they think saves them. Well, my job is simply to give them the opportunity to be clear about what they're doing and then trust them with the Lord. So for sure, we give invitations and people are prayed for when they give their heart to Jesus Christ. You know, really, one of the great things about our Friday night service, because we're not so rushed for time, At the end of tonight's service, as we do every Friday night, um, uh, there will be uh, men and women from our pastor's discipleship class. Um, We've got a class every other Saturday, uh, as long as I'm in town, uh, during the year. And it's sort of a a, a mini-leadership group in the church. There's probably 60 or 70 people that come to, to the pastor's discipleship classes. Well, they'll come up and spread out across the front of the church. And when the Bible study is done... Uh, I'll invite people to come up and be prayed for or to ask for prayer for any particular needs, and they will pray with those people. So any one of those people can share with them uh, how to be saved. Any one of them can answer the questions about salvation. Uh, But uh, it's always a great opportunity for people to come up and whatever the need is, whether it's for healing or um, uh, a marriage, uh, just anything going on in your life. Um, they can come up and ask for prayer. They, by faith, come forward and ask for prayer. The people that are praying with them, bless them. And then uh, we see what the Lord is going to do. But we always really want to give everybody the chance to leave there changed. Three four We've had a lot of calls this week, so I'd like to end the week with calls as well. Here is a question from Nathaniel. He says, why do we say amen after praying? Well, Nathaniel, amen means so be it. In other words, when when we pray uh, and then somebody says in Jesus' name, amen, and the other people say amen, that's simply agreeing. You're one in heart with Jesus and his will for this particular thing. So we say amen, which means we agree. By the way, Nathaniel, that means you should be really careful about what you say amen to. There are a lot of people that just pray and amen is sort of a formula. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We need to be really careful of formulas when we pray. Um, If you can't say, I agree with the content of somebody's prayer, then don't say amen. But that's why we do it. It is, again, another one of those cultural things that happen. Here is, let's go to, oh, we got my friend Tanya from San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Papa Ron. I, I have another question for you that I wanted to ask. I was at a church service on Sunday, and the pastor um, mentioned a book that's not in the Bible, uh, in Maccabees, and it's the Apocrypha. And I'm sure you've answered uh-huh. this question a thousand times. Can you give me some information? Is that something that we're, I mean... What's the value of that? Is there something we should be looking in that? I'm, I know the Catholic Bible contains that, but I didn't really know what to make of, um, you know, the introducing Maccabees into our study. Am, am I just being oversensitive? Maybe I am. Um, that's why I called you.
3: <laughs> yeah, Tanya, do you, do you know, uh, very quickly, do you know what the content or the context of him bringing Maccabees into the study? What were you studying?
4: Uh, So we were talking about how uh, Jesus, they do this series on Love Thy Neighbor, and it was how he was talking about how Jesus was, um, it was all like kind of one that we weren't necessarily our differences. We were all one people. Um, And so that's what, I can't remember the actual verse, but when he said it, he even said, this isn't in your Bible. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Why would you bring that up now? But that's what it was. It was a, a topic about... That we are all, you know, one
3: one people for for God, for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I would think, Tanya, that's an improper use. And I can't imagine a circumstance that I would ever bring up um, first or second Maccabees in a Bible study unless it was related directly to uh, Israel's history. Um, obviously, um, um, the Maccabees were, um, great warriors and, and, um, um, the the books have, have historical value, but there's no real spiritual value. Uh, You know, these aren't books that God wrote, um. Uh, the Apocrypha, as you mentioned, is included in Catholic Bibles. But the problem with the Apocrypha, the problem with Catholicism in general, is that there's a whole lot of uh, unbiblical practices. And they'll pick and choose out of those Apocryphal books, um, verses that seem to suggest uh, this is why we do things. Uh, purgatory is, is just one example. Praying to saints is another. Uh, and when they're taking examples out of books that are not inspired by God then in fact they become counterproductive so um, uh, they were never part of the Jewish Bible the Hebrew Bible Uh, we've got them in our Old Testament between the Testament sort of thing again there's value historically Tanya but beyond that I just don't think there's any reason to do it and I would be interested in knowing what the context the specific context was of that study does that help
4: Yes, sir, it does. Thank you so much, Hopper Run. Appreciate it. Have a great Thank weekend. Thank you, Tim.
3: Have, have a great weekend. You okay. too. God bless. Let's go to New Bromfields now and talk with Barbara online too. Barbara, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
5: Hi, how are you?
3: I'm doing well. How are you?
5: I'm good. I'm trying to turn down Alexa so I can hear you. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my daughter has a friend she works with who was asking her to say uh, she has a room in her house and uh, her and her husband are believers, and she has a prayer room in her house where she go, they, they would go in and have, you know, pray and read and do devotion. Well, her husband has slowly, has now just walked away from that, and he doesn't go in there, doesn't spend any time in the Word with her anymore. And now he's telling her that he's jealous of God, does not want her to go into that into the prayer room anymore. He wants her to spend more time with him and less time with God. And so my daughter was like, "Mom, you know," mm-hmm. because she was asking my daughter, uh, "Do you have any words of encouragement for me?" You know, and uh, I told her, I said, "You know, uh, that would be a great question to call Pastor Ron about on the radio station today." So we were calling uh, for some verses to help her out. Um, She's she's confused because, you know, she wants to even though he's not walking right now, she wants to honor her husband, you know, because. But at the same time, she doesn't want to be misled away from the Lord. Yeah.
3: You said you said even though he's not walking or she's not walking.
5: Uh, he quit walking.
3: Yes, that's what that's he, what I thought. Okay, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to be sure I understood. I can help. I think Barbara, yeah. um, this isn't at all unusual. And in fact, I've I've had my own jealousy experiences. It's one of the things that drove me uh, to the arms of Jesus. You know, uh, Paula, I would try to to make her life miserable. I'd try to be controlling. I'd be jealous and petty. Um, and and you know, Paula would just never moved from her devotion to Jesus. Now, Paula, when I told her she couldn't go to church, um, she'd she find church when I was at work. She, that's where we found a church, or she found a church a long time ago that met on Friday nights uh, because I would be at work and, and uh, it wouldn't interfere with the time that we had together. A couple of things, and, and uh, you know, there's really no verses that deal with this particular thing because we're right. dealing with a man who evidently is unsaved and insecure, Um, jealousy is not a good fruit of the spirit. It's a bad fruit of the flesh. And when the Bible says wives submit to your husband's um, we, we often don't read the words that follow that as to the Lord. Jesus right. would never ask her to, to divide her time. Jesus would never ask right. her to, to stop taking time just in order to go pander to this unbelieving husband. So here's what mm-hmm. she ought to do in a, in a, in a thoughtful okay. moment um, when she's sitting down and talking with her husband when he is receptive to hearing. Um, She needs to sit down and say, now, submitted wives does not mean quiet wives. It doesn't mean passive wives. And so when she would sit down with him, she ought to say, we need to talk about your jealousy. Okay. Over my time with Jesus. The Bible tells me to pray. Part of the thing I'm doing when I'm in that room is praying for you. You certainly don't want me to stop praying for you. But I'm 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 mm-hmm. connecting with Jesus. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the lover of my soul. Jesus is the lover of my soul, and um, uh, so I I've, I get all of my strength and all of my nourishment from Him. And because mm-hmm. I do that, I'm then a better wife for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and she needs to to earnestly pray for Him. I know she is. But uh, this is an issue that God is bringing to the surface. And at some point, the Holy Spirit is going to point out to this man that he's being petty. He's being selfish. But more than that, he's being foolish because Mm -hmm. the best gift God can give him is a wife who's committed and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And uh, and encourage her. Tell her to hang in. But don't stop reading your Bible and don't stop spending time. Uh, in prayer with the Lord. Uh if he mm-hmm. can't find something to do for thirty minutes or an hour while she's in there praying, uh they've got all mm-hmm. kinds of issues, not just that. But right. encourage right. her that way, Barbara.
5: Okay. All right. Thank you, Pastor Ron.
3: Thank you, Barbara. I God bless you. you.
5: See you tonight. Thank you. Yes.
3: Okay, Thank great. Bye bye. Bye bye. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Um you know I I honestly was jealous. Um, And it was that petty jealousy which really drove me to an awareness that there was something wrong with me. How can you be jealous of God? And the truth is, what I really hated, and I suspect it's the same uh, in the situation Barbara just uh, mentioned, is the light that was coming from Paula made my darkness even darker. And I didn't like that. I didn't like to have to look in at me. I would imagine, Barbara, and you can share this with her as well, uh, I imagine that this guy's closer to getting saved than either one of them believes. Great question. We have four minutes. Here's a question Ben wrote in. He said, What are your thoughts about Jay Vernon McGee? Ben, I can't wait till I meet him in heaven. Um the first thing that always comes to mind when I hear J. Vernon McGee's name or when I hear him teaching the Bible is that here's a guy who's been dead for a very long time I think he died in the early 90's here's a guy that's been dead for a very long time but his heart and his ministry was so from the Lord that God continues to bless that ministry all of these years even decades since his death That's pretty impressive. Jay Vernon's ministry is reaching parts of the world that he never could have dreamed possible. You know, when he was diagnosed with cancer, the cancer that eventually took his life, um, the Lord laid it on his heart to do this five-year journey through the Bible God graciously sustained his strength. There are times when you listen to some of those studies and you could tell how ill he is. But God gave him that extra five years so that he could get decades, who knows if the Lord tarries hundreds of years, worth of rewards because of his faithfulness. So I have nothing but admiration for J. Vernon McGee. Uh, one of the things, been that people don't really know about J. Vernon McGee now, he sounds like sort of a country bumpkin, but this was a brilliant man. Uh, he translated uh, the Bible. He had his own Bible. He translated it from both the Hebrew and the Greek texts. Uh, he was a deep thinker. Um, we just listen to that country drawl and don't think there's much room for deep thinking. But uh, this was a man who was brilliant Um, He could be direct. Now, I admire that. Some people don't, but he could be direct. Uh, I think as you hear him on that uh, uh, five-year journey through the Bible, uh, there was a sense of urgency for him because he knew that he was sick and didn't know how long he would would last. Um, And there was no time to mess around. Didn't worry about hurting people's feelings. He just shared his heart. And I think he is uh, one of the modern-day men with the gift of prophecy. And a lot of the things that he taught and spoke about, uh, we're watching come to fruition before our very eyes. Funny story about J. Vernon McGee. We're running out of time, and I don't have time for another question. But one of the great stories about J. Vernon McGee is he was one who was adamantly opposed Uh, to the Calvary Chapel movement at the beginning. Uh, He was one of those guys said, you know, if those hippies are really saved, they ought to get a haircut and get a shower. They ought to wear shoes, those kind of things. Uh, And and as he watched this Jesus movement unfold, he was very, very skeptical. But he saw the fruit and it won him over. And he and actually my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's now with Jesus as well, uh, they became quite close and and uh, great admirers of one another. So um, um, I have nothing but good things to say about J. Vernon McGee, and I think the Lord, honoring his ministry, uh, values that as well, makes, makes that same statement. Uh, I don't hear the music, but I hear we're running out of time, so we'll be back on the other side of the break, Three four We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back i hate saying it like this but there's only 30 minutes left in the week 340-9585 let's go to san antonio now talk with cindy on line one cindy thanks for calling you're on the air
5: Hi Pastor Ron. I have another Hi, I wonder question. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I I I wonder I thought that uh Paul before he was converted was married and had a family because I thought that in the Sanhedrin that they that the guys had to be married. So I'll just take your question on the on the uh, air and hang the phone up. It's good to hear you today. Bye.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye. Um Cindy, we don't know for sure, but uh, I'm, I'm really confident because a requirement of being a member of the Sanhedrin, that's a 70 ruling elders, um, one of the requirements was marriage. Uh, I believe that not only was he married, but that he probably also had children. Um, It was the desire of every Jewish home to raise children. You know, families needed lots of workers, so they would would raise uh, sons and daughters to help out. That's why families stayed together in the ancient world. uh, uh, Family unit was really, really important. And since we believe that he was married, it means necessarily that his faith, his conversion, cost him his family. It was not at all unusual in those days for Jews when they converted to Christianity. and I want to say that again. When they converted to Christianity, they didn't remain Jewish. They became Christians. And it was common that the Jewish families would disown them. That's why the church was all together in early in the book of Acts. And when it was growing, an entire community raised up because there were a bunch of people that were no longer allowed in the temple area. They, they, they were cut off from the economic life. They were cut off from religious life, certainly. Uh, families would disown them. Um, uh, Jewish families would have funeral services for their children who departed from the faith and treat them as though they were dead. And it is uh, at least highly probable that the Apostle Paul, um, in his conversion and in his zeal for Jesus afterwards, lost his family. Imagine the cost when he said, I count it all as refuse in exchange for everything that he received from the Lord. He wasn't saying, my family is just garbage. No, he was just saying, the trade-off was worth it. When he talked about being celibate in writing to the church at Corinth, um, um, he he was speaking uh, as a man with a history of sexual intimacy with his wife. And suddenly all of that's gone, and he decides that, well, being single is better because I can spend all my time and my energy uh, worrying only about the things of God. So he was almost certainly married, um, uh, but the Bible doesn't really tell us specifically uh, about that, but uh, it gives a whole new concept in terms of meaning, uh, Cindy, to to the idea that um, everything that we do in Christ before for Christ requires a sacrifice. He paid a big, big price. So, Cindy, I hope that helps. Here is a question from Christian. He says, is it, I'm sorry, is the devil to blame when pastors fall into sin? Do pastors get attacked more than regular people? Christian, you must be somebody, a young man who's called to be a pastor. Um, The devil is not to blame when pastors fail." Jesus said to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, When we who are pastors fall sexually or when we do things that, Um, uh, are worthy of disqualification as a pastor. Uh, It's our fault. You know, nothing happens quickly. My study tonight in the book of Hebrews is about drifting away. All of our disobedience begins with drifting away from the presence of the Lord. And all the time we're drifting, God is continually knocking on the door of our heart. The Holy Spirit is continually trying to get our attention. So while the devil is an accomplice for sure, It's not his fault. We have to bear the personal responsibility for that. Now, relative to your question, do pastors get attacked more than regular people? Pastors are regular people. Um, I don't believe that I'm any uh, more viable to the devil in terms of of his efforts to destroy me than anybody else. Uh, I am certain That um, um, I make the devil angry. Pastors do. We teach the word of God. And hopefully um, uh, we do this. You know, I think about this radio program from time to time. The devil is called the prince of the air. Um, These are radio waves that come over the air. And it's true that every everybody I know that's ever gotten involved in any kind of a fruitful radio ministry, um, that ministry has come under attack. Um, But I I think the devil is after all of us in Christ. Um, We who are pastors are supposed to be equipped um, well enough to deal with it. We should learn how to fight. We're teaching others how to fight. We got to practice what we preach. If we don't, then we too are going to fall. Here's what I do know for sure. Um, Christian, I know that the devil delights when a pastor falls and then he really gets busy. If I were to have to stand before my church tonight and resign um, because of some sin that I've fallen into, uh, I know exactly what the devil would do in the minds and the hearts of the people. And he would terrify them. Well, if he can't uh, uh, stand, nobody can stand. Uh, he, they would start asking, well, do, should I ever believe anything that he said kind of things. So the devil gets busy, but but it's not the devil's fault if I mess up. It's my fault. I've moved away from Jesus. So I hope that helps, Christian. Thank you very much. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Doug on line one. Doug, thanks for holding her on the air.
2: Hey, I'm in agreement with you on that. Uh, Psalm 11 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I hope the president gets what he needs for this wall. These cartels are not only involved in, in trafficking on their side of the border, but on ours, There's a site on this, Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. It says, 1387 WordPress. Translation is at the back end. There's a picture of a hand over a glass, captioned, please admit. You drag it to 3940. She says, look at the difference between my needs and wants. I need protection. Pay attention to every written word. Figure out the codes. Blur out all the other lines. Children are forced in their marriage. It's predetermined life so desperately wish to escape. And uh, at the end it says... They influence listeners how they get paid. There's a desert backdrop, says Corruption too. You drag that to the last 20 minutes. It's a the timeline. The guy says, I can only hold you in county jail six months, but I have a way to hold you for 300 years. We took a bribe. If you give us this, we'll give you a contract. In the Chicago backdrop, he says, there's enough on the tapes. He will flee to Brazil or false arrest me and order a psych exam and pretend he doesn't know me in court. Go to the one that says Guzman. You can hear that judge in that court hearing. They're holding me at Trenton Psych, and I uh, recorded each one of these. It's Danielle S-I-T-T-E-L. I I wonder if you could review that.
3: Well, I, I I I can look at it, Doug, but I but I prefer that information to go out over the, the the radio this program anyway until I do. So, thank you for calling. I'll comment on it very briefly, and then we'll get back to questions about the Bible or questions about Jesus. Thank you for calling. A couple of things that we we need to uh, to uh, to understand. You know, uh, this is not a political radio show. Um, whether or not I'm in favor of the wall isn't really um, germane to anything that we do here. Um, um, we should pray for our president. Uh, our country is truly in a national crisis. I do believe um, that the situation at the border is getting so desperate uh, that we, we are facing a national emergency. Uh, having said that, uh, we can have all the right answers. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we can know all things and fathom all mysteries but if we have not love, we're just making noise. And Doug, uh, one of the reasons that I, I refrain from uh, dealing with political issues here is because a lot of Christians, people that should be trumpeting the love of God. Um, our hearts grow cold and um, we've got an agenda uh, that isn't Jesus. And the only thing that should matter to believers is Jesus. And we're the ones who should trust in him. So without making a political statement at all, um, I would ask you, Doug, and everybody else who's, who's uh, a professing Christian uh, who wrestles with these issues to be honest and check your heart to evaluate one thing and one thing only. Is what I believe, is what I say born from and of the love of God. If it's not, then there's no value even if you're convinced in your own mind and heart that your opinion is the right one. One of the things I'm going to say tonight in our study on drifting is that if you find yourself giving your opinion about things rather than giving biblical direction or counsel, then you have already begun the process of drifting away from the Lord. And and Doug, for, for men like you, um, th- this is one of the ways that we can objectively check our heart for Jesus. Do you spend more time in the Word or more time trying to find people that you agree with online? Do you spend more time in the Bible than you do on social media? If you're going to be a one-string guitar, that string better be a Jesus string. We're in the last days, and the people that disagree with us the people that hold divergent points of view, even those who are the most objectionable to us, they're the objects of our ministry and not the enemy of our ministry. So I hope that makes it clear. Thank you, Doug, for listening to the program. Here is a question from Marilyn. What is your favorite book of the Bible? And which one has had the greatest impact on your life? Marilyn, that's impossible. I have another question down here that I can sort of put together with it. I got to find it Um, uh, from Matthew. uh, Pastor, what's your favorite Bible story? Uh, That's easier for me than my favorite book of the Bible. My favorite Bible story is a simple one for me. It's Genesis chapter 32. Uh, It's a, a story that I read, Jacob wrestling with Jesus. And when I was a brand-new believer, when I was a brand-new believer, uh, I had so much going on in my life, and the, the the weight of the world was crushing in on me as the consequences for my sin came to bear. And um, um, I was reading Genesis chapter 32 one day, uh, and Jacob uh, trying to get away from Jesus, you know, and Jesus holding on to him all night long, and finally Jesus said, I won't contend with man forever. And then... Jesus, let's go. But first he touches Jacob's hip. And he touches him with such power that he cripples him. And Jacob would be crippled for the rest of his life. He cripples him. And Jacob, for the first time, realized the power he was trying to get away from and decided at that moment he wanted that power in his life. And so he was the one that was holding on to Jesus. And here's what he said. I will not let go until you bless me. Now, Matthew... I have repeated that prayer nearly every day for the 28 years I've been walking with Jesus. It is it is the way I start my day. I never want to forget how much I need. So that's my favorite Bible story. That's easy. Marilyn, your question about my favorite book of the Bible uh, is... Um, is is far more difficult. It seems to me, anyway, that my favorite book is the one I'm teaching or the one I'm digging into the most deeply in terms of studying it. Uh, It it seems to me, and and I'm sure this is an exaggeration, but it just seems to me. I I teach three Bible studies a week, Um, a Wednesday night Old Testament study, a, a Friday night New Testament study, and a different New Testament book on Sunday mornings. And it just seems to me as though whatever I'm teaching at the time, I'm actually living through in my own life experience. And um, that makes them all essential. It makes them all living and active in my life. Um, And and they all have an impact. I can tell you one other story, Marilyn. Um, As a young believer, as a young believer dealing with Um, you know God am I doing the right things and what more can I do and all those things it's the same thing every new believer goes through yes I'm saved but but can I do more for you Uh, and and, and, you know the enemy's there to cause you to doubt your salvation Um, one day I was reading Romans chapter 3 this probably goes back 27 years and I came to Romans 3.24 When I'm really struggling with God what can I do to help you? What can I do to make sure I'm doing the right thing? What can I do to get through these trials? And Paul writes you're justified freely. And the Spirit of God said when? Well, when Jesus died for my sins. Well, how long ago was that? And the answer was 2,000 years ago roughly and then the Lord just asked me a question so why are you worried about all this and that verse that day Marilyn set me free it absolutely set me free and I haven't had from that day one moment of doubt about my salvation I haven't had one moment where I thought I had to do more to please God or to earn my salvation you know we, we understand intellectually that salvation is a free gift but then we try to prove that God made a good choice when he chose us I haven't had any of that. I haven't struggled with any sin. or repentance done since that day when I read Romans chapter three twenty four and the Holy Spirit sort of shined His light on that verse. So uh, those are huge impacts. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, uh, Romans is my favorite book. I, I don't know if I would. If somebody put a gun to my head and said, yeah, "You got to choose one," uh, I'd probably say Ephesians. Uh, I love the design of Ephesians. The first three chapters are everything that God has done for me. The second three chapters are here should be my reasonable response. Um, Just out of gratitude. So, Marilyn, you know, I'm not trying to cop out on on answering. Um, I I just love his word so much. Uh, There are books that are more fun to teach. uh, Judges. In the Old Testament, in my opinion, is the most fun book to teach. The character studies in Judges are unbelievably rich. So I love teaching Judges. There are some books that are tedious to teach. Um, you go through the prophets and some get really tedious, yet they're still great books. Um, James uh, is a New Testament book uh, that's tedious to teach. First John. As wonderful as it is, there's so much repetition in there that I feel like I'm wah, wah, wah. You know, I, I, I'm just repeating the same things over and over and over. And the Lord always reminds me that it's okay to repeat things. People need to hear it over and over. So uh, that's really the best that uh, I can do with that question, Marilyn. And I hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety is a question from Oscar. Is there something wrong with my faith because I don't speak in tongues? Oscar, the answer is no. Uh, If you are in a church that tells you that your faith is um, less than perfect uh, because you don't speak in tongues or if they're trying to convince you you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you need to get out of that church because it's an unhealthy, um, uh, unbalanced church. Um, but no, the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, uh, both the description of the gift of tongues and then the, the application of gift of tongues, um, that tongues isn't for everybody. Now, having said that, I believe that God would give the gift of tongues to everybody if they would receive it by faith. The reason not everybody's going to receive it is because there's just certain people that won't do things that don't make sense. And I got to tell you, as a man who does have the gift of tongues that was given to me very early in my walk with the Lord, tongues make no sense at all to us. It seems like you're wasting your time. The minute you speak in tongues, the enemy's there to say, well, you're just making this up. That's not really God. Um, but, but it's a great gift. Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. And uh the reason that he said that is because it is a great gift. It's a gift that edifies our, our our walk with Jesus. It's a vertical gift rather than horizontal. Maybe the least of all of the gifts because of that, but there's no way that God will withhold the gift of tongues. Now, I think practically, Oscar, the reason that some people don't give don't receive the gift of tongues, though they have the desire to Uh, Is because they're waiting for something to happen to them. You know, we want the tongues of fire and we want the sound of a mighty rushing wind and we want to be compelled to speak in tongues and we don't have any control over it. But that's not the same gift. Every gift God gives, every thing God gives, has to be received by faith. So here's what I would suggest you do. Um... Take a walk with Jesus, just you and him. Ask him to give you the gift of tongues because you want your relationship to be strengthened. And then start speaking. Don't worry how it sounds. Don't worry about the lies of the enemy. But as you step out in faith, not worrying about feeling silly, um, you watch what happens, the Holy Spirit will do it. But don't just wait for something to overtake you. Because that's not how the gifts of the Spirit work. We've got to partner with God in it. Remember, we take the first step of faith, and then the Holy Spirit sort of comes along with this this rush of power, and he takes over. So I hope that helps, Oscar caller wanted to say thank you for mentioning romans 324 in the air great you're welcome caller it was a pivotal moment in my walk with jesus we're inside four minutes so let me see what i've got left here um jessica says uh have you or will you ever have a woman preach at your church on a sunday how about paula and if not why not the answer is i never have and i never will And the reason is because the Bible forbids a woman to preach, to have authority uh, over a man. Now, uh, I can see um, uh, Paul Paul has actually come into the pulpit with me on a Wednesday night or a Friday night. I can't remember which it was. Uh, We were talking about something and the Lord put on my heart to have her come up. And there were going to be questions turned out to be one of the the great um, evenings here at Calvary Chapel. And we answered so many questions that, that uh, we didn't even know were out there. Uh, but 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 the, the pastor of a church needs to be a man. And if I'm not going to be here preaching, Jessica, I've got um, six different men who pastors who are gifted to teach, and I feel an obligation to give them the responsibility. So um, no to have a woman preaching um, uh, to the church at large on a Sunday. Uh, is not something that we would do. Um, let me also say this to you, Jessica. If uh, I asked Paula to preach at this church on a Sunday in front of everybody, she would say, No, I can't do that. Um, you know, there's no ego involved. She just she just wants to be obedient to the Lord. So those are the reasons that I, I haven't and won't. Uh, it's just not something that we're supposed to do. My pastor, Chuck Smith, when he was still alive, he would Corrie in Boom uh, at his church one day and she was giving a testimony and people kind of jumped all over me, you have a woman preaching on a Sunday. Uh, she wasn't preaching, she was encouraging, she was edifying, uh, she was sharing um, the, the, the rich life that she'd walked through literally the gates of hell um, um, in her experience with the Lord. Uh, And and I probably wouldn't have any kind of a problem with something like that. Um, And I would explain to my church what the reason. Uh, Last one, and this is a negative way to end the week. Anonymous says, I think you're a false teacher, as all who, as are all who worship on Sundays. Well, Anonymous, read your Bible, Um, study it. Um, Don't just swallow the junk you've been fed. Um, God has a new covenant for those of us who are in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. And be very careful who you're calling a false teacher. Not because it's me, but because that is a harsh accusation, a hateful accusation against somebody who is doing the best he can to rightly divide the Word of God. Worshiping on Sundays, if we're a false teacher because of that, then the Apostle Paul was a false teacher, Peter was a false teacher, all of the apostles were false teachers, because the New Testament church all began to worship on the first day of the week uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week on the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, go to church this week looking to the Lord to see how you can bless others and you yourself will be blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630. The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.